Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hey, welcome back, language professionals from around the world, to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast, and happy International Translation Day to you. How lucky am I to be able to be releasing an episode on the Translation Day? I mean, it was inevitable. I'm sure that at some point it was bound to happen, right? But still, nonetheless, I get to say happy International Translation Day on the actual day, and also happy Friday. So it's actually two great things happening today. No, three, because hello, today's episode is really good. But before I get to that, first, I wanted to share with you in case you didn't know that this past weekend, I had my very first solo booth at a language professionals conference, the LCDE's Interpreters and Translators Conference that takes place every year in Orange County, California. It was in this conference some years back, actually, that I held my very first workshop entitled, you guessed it, Brand the Interpreter. The objective of that workshop was to encourage other language professionals that were specializing in public education to get out there and brand the role of the interpreter translator in their school district. In other words, I was encouraging them to help highlight their roles by means of creating systems and communication processes. This is where I discovered that what I had to say actually had a listening ear on the other end, meaning that I wasn't alone in my journey and my challenges, that there were others like me that were facing similar challenges. And we ended up creating this small network of individuals that really wanted to take the role of the uh, interpreter and translator to the next level in our school districts. Anyway, fast forward to last weekend, uh, I'm back and this time I'm back as my own brand hosting my own booth. It was so much fun. It was fun to connect with people that were there that um, were actual listeners of the podcast. I think it's just fun to be able to have the opportunity to be back in person uh, for some of these events. And of course, coming back in person as uh, the Brand the Interpreter podcast host um, is just is just an amazing, amazing experience. So I wanted to take the opportunity to those of you, if you're listening, tuning in today, that stop by the booth to say hello and to just share with me how you are enjoying the content that I share on this platform. I just wanted to say thank you. It really does mean a lot when people send out their messages. Uh, it encourages me to continue doing this work. It encourages me to really put extra effort into the stories that I put out and the guests that I invite for you guys to tune in and really get something out of it, right? So that it's not just another person behind a mic. If you were a winner of the first generation of branded notebooks of Brand the Interpreter, congratulations. Um, those notebooks 
mean the world to me. They are a physical representation of just the hard work and and what this platform means to me. So congratulations to those of you. Hopefully you're able to uh, share your use of them on social media and tag me, tag me, tag me. For those of you that are interested in notebooks, let me know, DM me or email me so that I can get a feel for how many of you might be interested in having your own Brandy Interpreter notebooks. And the objective of these notebooks is that actually so you can listen to the episodes and be able to have something to take notes on, something that you can recognize immediately as your go-to podcast episode notebook uh, and go back to your notes that you took for encouragement, inspiration, ideas, etc., etc. So if you're interested, get a hold of me so that I get a feel and start having this as perhaps merch on the website. Lastly, if you're interested in taking a look at some of the pictures of the event of this last weekend, feel free to go onto my LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook accounts. I shared uh, some pictures of the winners and with my uh Colgate smile on the pictures, uh, hosting my own booth. It was just a great experience, guys. And I met lots of podcast listeners uh, and that it, it was just so filling. So thank you again. And hopefully I can see you at the next event. Uy, today's episode is so good. I really hope you enjoy it. This next guest that I will share with you today said yes to the invitation and Did she show up? Boy, did she show up with some really good stuff, some really great information that I hope you enjoy. I'm sure many, many of you, if not all of you, recognize who she is and are familiar with the work that that she sends out to the language professional community, to you interpreters and translators as well. Uh, And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Here's the opportunity to take down some notes, get inspired, write down some things that could perhaps help you in your journey, your professional journey, and potentially even make plans for what's to come next year for you professionally. Nora Diaz holds a BA in language teaching and translation and combined her work as a language teacher and teacher trainer with translation and interpreting for a number of years before deciding to work as a translator and conference interpreter full-time. Nora enjoys using technology and finding ways to increase productivity, which, combined with her love of teaching, has led her to sharing what she has learned through articles, webinars, and workshops. Nora currently serves on the board of the Organización Mexicana de Traductores and on ATA's Professional Development Committee. She is also one of the co-organizers of the Innovation in Translation Summit and the Innovation in Interpreting Summit. And she joins us today on the Brandy Interpreter podcast to share her story about the profession. So without further ado, please help me welcome Nora Diaz to the show. Nora, welcome to the show. It's so lovely to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Mireya. I'm very excited to be here. I'm super excited, not only because you accepted the invitation to be here, but also because I get to 
get to know Nora a little bit more along with the audience. And I happen to think that we're going to have uh, or get the opportunity to talk about a lot of different great things. And so I'm excited for the conversation. So again, thank you. So if you would be so kind as to sharing with us where you grew up and what a fond childhood memory of yours is. Well, um, I grew up in a small town called um, Delicias, Chihuahua. That's in northern Mexico. We are about um, four hours away from the U.S.-Mexico border. I don't live there um, now. I live in the capital of the state. But I wasn't born there, but that's where I grew up. My parents are both teachers. And when I was um, probably in first grade, no, actually in kindergarten, they both um, got jobs in Delicias. And so we moved down there. Um, I think as with everyone who has grown up in a small town, you know, the memories are those of just uh, being carefree and being able to play with your neighbors and your siblings and all that. And so it was, um, it was a good childhood. Um, it was much more quiet, I would say, than what I see children um, grow up with today. So I would say it was good. That's great. I think that uh, nice, fun childhood memories of just, you know, fun childhood where there was nothing necessarily exciting, but not necessarily, you know, out of exactly the The most exciting thing I ever did. (laughs) My mother always reminds me of this is we had a big fig tree in the backyard in our patio. And so um, a neighbor and I would just go to the fig tree when there were a lot of figs and then, you know, get all the figs and go around and sell them to the neighbors. (laughs) That was like (laughs) our business. And they would buy them from. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, (laughs) you believe that. We became millionaires selling things yeah. to the neighbors. <laughs> your first uh, opportunity to become a entrepreneur was with your family. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it taught you a couple skills there. Yeah, <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> you mentioned that your parents were, were teachers. Uh, did you happen to go to the same school as they were uh, you know, teaching in? Or what was that experience like? Well, my, not where my mom worked because she was um, an elementary school teacher and I never went to the school where she worked. But my father uh, was a literature teacher and he was actually my teacher in um, middle school. And um, I should tell you that all of my friends were so afraid of him because he was like the strictest teacher in school. (laughs) He would... um, you know, and, and so my friends would ask me things like, does your father ever smile at home? <laughs> but it's just, you know, he he wanted to keep this persona of a serious teacher who wanted his students to learn and he wasn't there to play games or anything. So, yes, he was my teacher for one year. Um, and um, the <laughs> I don't know if I should this, say this publicly, but he we was the, oh, well, don't tell anyone, <laughs> but he was the only teacher in my entire academic career who kicked me out of the classroom because <laughs> I was talking to someone who was sitting next to me. And so he, you know, he didn't tolerate that at all from anyone. And so he kicked me out <laughs> of the class. 
And the funny thing about that, and of course, we laugh about it today. Now, we didn't laugh about it then. The funny thing was that whenever that happened in the school that I went to, you had to bring one of your parents to school to talk to the principal. (laughs) (laughs) So he kicked me out of class. And then then I went home after the day was done. I didn't see him after that in, in school. And I went home after the day was done. And he had another job. So I didn't, he went to his afternoon job. And I didn't see him until that evening when he came home. And then as he walked in, I said, Dad, you have to go to school tomorrow because one of my teachers kicked me out of class and you have to go talk to the principal. I thought you were going to so, say that you're going to, that you were going to bring your mom and mom and uh, dad were going to have to no, do that she, 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 Exactly. No. And so he just looked at me and he said, don't do it again. <laughs> that was it. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. I cannot imagine having my parents as teachers in one of my schools, I think I would have been mortified, perhaps, you know, at that young age, you're always like, no, not my parents at school. Yeah, well, it was what it was. Yeah, you mentioned they were literature teachers, both of them? No, my mother was an elementary school teacher. And my father, they are both retired now, of course. Uh, My father was a literature teacher, Spanish literature. Mm -hmm. Where did your love or your interest for languages begin? Because you've mentioned you've always been fascinated by languages. Um, when did it when did this begin for you? And then when did you actually do something with that fascination? Do you recall? Um, I don't remember exactly when it when it began, uh, but I do remember being enrolled in like an afternoon English class when I was in um, probably third grade or so, but it didn't go anywhere. It's like, um, I think it was a summer class or something. And so, you know, that's the thing um, that is probably difficult for people to understand today. Back then, uh, when any of you, especially if you lived in a small town, it wasn't like you were exposed to a lot of culture or a lot of languages or anything. I didn't really know anyone that I can remember who spoke foreign languages, um, a foreign language or more. And so, um, but I do remember taking that class. And uh, I think that's probably so uh, where it started, where I said, I want to do that. (laughs) And I didn't really, um, of course, learn that much. It was just for the summer and it wasn't like intensive or anything. But I remember playing with my friends. We used to play two games. One of the games was we used to play speaking English, but speaking gibberish, of course. (laughs) We 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 just made it sound like English, but we were, of course, we didn't, we didn't know anything. And the second thing we played was we played school. And one of the classes in our in our play school was English. <laughs> so, of course, uh, that was fun to do. But um, but again, that didn't go anywhere. When I was in, um, and then of course there are you know after after elementary school, when I was in middle school, then you start um, having as part of your curriculum there are language classes and English specifically. And again, it's not like um, you would learn to be proficient in those classes, but at least you um, start seeing what you could do and and, um, you realize that you like that maybe more than other classes or something. When I was in high school, uh, one of my English teachers mentioned that she had worked on a project 
this was like an isolated project. So it was a big deal. Subtitling some movies. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And so that was the first time probably that I thought, I would like to do something like that. And then uh, our school principal, during those, you know, uh, meetings when they tell you about possible professions and career paths and things like, things like that, um, he had been an English teacher. But he mentioned that he had been a translator at some point, and um, he talked about being an interpreter. And that's when I really thought, mm, that's something that I really want to do. And I just had one big problem. I didn't know English. <laughs> so this is wow. when I was already in <laughs> high school. <laughs> and so um, I thought, well, um, there's two options. I either give up on this um, and go to law school, which was my other um, plan, <laughs> my plan B, or I learn English as quickly as I can so that I can get into school. So I, um, there was a, in a city one hour away from where I lived, which is where I live now. The um, state university had a degree that was um, in um, a, an English degree, which was for to become a teacher and um, translator interp slash interpreter. Um, and so I checked the requirements. And of course, the number one requirement was you had to be bilingual because the, the admission exam was an English test. I mean, you didn't have to, you just had to prove that you um, could understand um, classes in English and everything because the entire degree was taught in English. So this was two semesters before I was due to graduate from high school. So I thought I have one year. And so I started, um, I told my parents and my father said, well, you can start taking some private lessons. And if you don't pass the test, then we'll look into sending you abroad so you can learn English. If you turn out to be a failure, you can learn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I started taking some, some uh, lessons, you know, just in, an, in a language school. And, um, and so the time came for me to take my test. And I passed. I think it was a miracle because <laughs> looking back, my English was, um, no, it wasn't where it needed to be. But uh, whoever, uh, the, the teacher who interviewed me, um, the, you know, the professor who interviewed me probably took pity on me and said, yeah, okay. And so um, at the beginning, I'm not going to lie, it was super difficult because we have, we were having these, I mean, you go from taking lessons in a language school where you're learning things like nice to meet you and you know just some basic right, stuff right. and then you go into um, college level classes where you are taking advanced grammar linguistics history you know American U.S. history and then literature and stylistics and all of these things in English the whole thing was in English and not only do you have to sit there and uh, it's not like you can just sit there and and look like you know what you're doing, you have to write um, essays and um, give presentations and stuff. And so I thought, well, I'd better um, work hard at this. And so uh, it was hard the first uh, semester, maybe the first couple of semesters. But by the end of the first semester, um, one of my teachers was the um, 
um, was in charge of something that was called, it was like a, um, a, a language school run by the U.S. Embassy. And he was in charge of this school and he invited me to teach there. That was like a dream for me because remember that five months earlier, I couldn't put two sentences together. So um, he decided that I would probably be okay to work at his school, at this very prestigious school. And I started working there. And so, yeah, that was my um, how I got interested and how I got started with languages. That's amazing. I mean, it, and it says a lot about you in terms of once you set your mind to something, uh, figuring out what it was that you needed to do in order to get there. Now, what did you learn along the way or what was something surprising to you as you entered this? Because, you know, there are moments in time when we say this is what I want. And then once you're in it, you're like, what in the world was I thinking? What yeah. was most surprising to you in terms of the academic um, well, the, I mean, just that, that big unexpected, um, level of complexity where, <laughs> again, I mean, it's not, you're not just in my case, in this example, it wasn't just coping with the language, but the content in a foreign language. And even though, um, and, and you see, the thing is in my, um, in this, um, program that I was in, um, the classes were very small. So there were only like maybe 12 of us in the class. Everybody else, Mireya, had lived abroad. I was the only one who didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Everybody else was perfectly bilingual. So just struggling, trying to keep up with everyone. And then, um, you know, I would do all kinds of things to try and catch up. Like uh, I would hear my classmates say things like, um, you know, what did you do yesterday after school? Because we would go to school only in the morning and they would, you know, go to the movies and do this and do that. I would st spend my entire afternoon doing homework, trying to understand because this was before the internet. So just if I had to read something, like, for example, a typical assignment would be read this short story and then write an essay about it. And of course, I would read the story and I wouldn't understand half of what it said because it was it was a story that was, you know, a, a literature short yeah. story. Looking up and terminology I, and right. Yeah. And and I didn't even have the necessary resources because I had a small dictionary. And so I would spend my afternoons in the library at school or, you know, just trying to catch up. But I think what that um what that taught me um was that exactly what you said. If you set your mind to something, you can do it. And it also taught me not to be afraid to do things. Because of course, when this professor approached me and he said, well, would you like to come and teach um, at the U.S. Embassy Language School? My first instinct was, no, I mean, I'm not qualified. What am I going to be doing? But I said, sure. I, You know what I thought my thinking was, if he thinks I can do it, he's probably right. He knows more than I do. So I should do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that really opened a lot of doors for me. And that has been a constant for me to this day. If there is a challenge and um, I start doubting myself, I always tend to think, well, if this person who invited me to do it believes that I can do it, then I probably can. 
I love that. And that's a great mentality actually to have because many times we shut our own doors, right? Those are the opportunities um, that sometimes are very subtle and we don't think that necessarily that is might lead to anything or will lead to anything. I mean, matter of fact, sometimes we're not even thinking that far ahead, just the request and, you know, for us to say, me, what what do I have to share? What do I have to give? And exactly. then we set ourselves out from potentially other opportunities. I'm curious to know, you, you are learning the language. And we all know as language students or in the profession, industry uh, students, that one thing is academics in the classroom. And another thing is out in the real world. So what were you doing aside in order to practice? Because if I may, and I mean this with utmost respect for anyone out there, even that has, you know, a a slight accent, your English for someone that learned it so quickly at such at a later age, you don't, you don't really hear the accent. So for those people that are are learning a language and that are, you know, thinking about perhaps maybe even starting to learn a new language and are listening, what were you doing to practice? Well, remember, I'm, I'm a trained teacher. So now I know what happened. Um, now I can look back and I know what happened. And um, thank you for saying that. And this is something, it's a comment that I often get. And uh, I have to say, This was intentional and it was based on linguistics, specifically phonology and phonetics. So when I, when one of my, or several of my uh, courses at school were, um, you know, linguistics, all kinds of uh, linguistics classes, but the ones where I realized very quickly could help me with my accent were phonetics and phonology. So I thought when I realized that that could happen, I made a very conscious decision to really learn about phonetics and phonology and to put it into practice. So not only to learn it um, in terms of the theory, but to actually put it into practice. And so what that means is um, when you learn um, phonetics, you learn how uh, sounds are created. I mean, there I remember books that we read, like how languages are learned and um, where I would pay a lot of attention to the little things that give away your um, native language when you're speaking a foreign language, like, for example, for me as a Spanish speaker, little things like, for example, if a word begins with an S followed by a consonant, uh, like Spanish, something that gives us away a lot of times is adding the E sound at the beginning is Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would read that and I would say, okay, so from now on, I'm going to pay attention to whenever I have to say school. Spanish street. And so that sounds different from saying a school is Spanish is street, right? And so the same, so I was very, very careful about that. Later on, after I I finished, um, this is another thing that is, I think everybody will agree that this is a great way of learning, teaching. <laughs> so, yeah. right? So um, at some point after I graduated, very soon after I graduated, I was invited um, to teach at the university, at the, at the program where I graduated from. And um, I used to teach 
phonetics and phonology. <laughs> and so you have to study it more and then you have to be, you know, telling the students how sounds are produced and everything. And then it's just a matter of internalizing it yourself and listening to yourself and that monitor that constantly monitors what you're saying just when you catch yourself saying something that is not said correctly, then you, you know, you try to, um, to work on that. So it was very intentional. It wasn't by imitation. Let me tell you, because there is this, this uh, misconception that you can learn, you can get rid of your accent or you can improve your accent. And I understand that a lot of people don't want to get rid of their accent and I'm perfectly okay with that. Right. Um, but uh, because, you know, cultural identity and all that. But um, there is this misconception that, for example, um, as a language learner, if you have a native speaker as a teacher, then your accent will be better. That is not true. And the opposite is not true either. Um, you can be a teacher. And again, this is all my training as a teacher, right? Because I also used to be a teacher trainer for many years. Um, you can be a non-native teacher who doesn't have a perfect accent. But if you know how to teach, um, then your students can really work on their accent. It's like a, a sports coach, right? Who doesn't necessarily have to be the best player of the sport, but if they know how to coach, then they can um, develop great players. And so that's the, my advice for anyone wanting to work on their accent. Um, approach it very, um, I would say very scientifically. Don't just try to learn it by ear Learn the rules, understand the rules, and apply the rules because there are rules. That's excellent. You have no idea uh, how many people actually do connect with me with regards to, you know, uh, just conversations such as this or questions having to do with the, not just the learning of another language, but if there's any resources for those that are trying to improve on uh, lessening the, the the accent, not necessarily removing it or getting rid of it, but just improving overall. Um, so that is a great tip. Excellent advice. I'm going to make sure to, to, to share that and highlight that because I think it's important for many to know approaching it from a scientific standpoint and, uh, you know, and probably even getting, getting out of our own head, right? I think the, the, the being self-conscious about it, I'm sure doesn't help, uh, either. So uh, excellent points. Now you go from, teaching language. Now you're over here at the U.S. Embassy uh, uh, teaching to learn um, or and learning, I should say. But you still have this idea of becoming an interpreter and translator, correct? So what's happening there with regards to that as you're as you're teaching? What are you doing on the side, if anything? Well, um, I started teaching very early in my academic um, career <laughs> as a student. Uh, and I wasn't ready to start translating, much less interpreting, of course. But what I always did, and this is, um, again, remember, I was in a very small program. And so what the, the thing that I always did is I always told everyone that I wanted to be a translator and I wanted to be an interpreter. Absolutely everyone. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm sure they were bored and tired <laughs> of hearing me say it because I would tell absolutely everyone. And so I would go to my teachers and I would say, you know, to my professors and say, do you have any advice? Do you know anyone? <laughs> yes, there is something that you can recommend. And so um, 
at the same time, I was, of course, taking my courses in school. And I was um, when uh, as the program back then was you got trained to be both a teacher and a translator slash interpreter. And I'm going to say translator slash interpreter because I realized today that the program was not great. But that putting that aside. Um, so I thought I was, you know, getting ready to go out and take the world on. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I had. And so um, and so I was um, taking my class and everyone and I would tell absolutely everyone. And so um, what I did, and, and you're probably going to laugh at this, but then going back to to uh, what we were saying earlier about taking it, seizing, seizing every opportunity. The School of Dentistry of the university where I went to school when I was in my very last semester, they came to my school and they said, we are putting together a dentistry conference. We need three interpreters. Wow. And guess who raised their hand? Of course, I said, I'll do it. I had no idea, Mireya, what I was getting into. I had never seen a booth. Um, the program that I was in was very basic. They would tell you some theory, but it wasn't like, you know, these great programs where you have um, full-on training and booths and everything. And so I I don't think the teacher that the we had was even an actual interpreter, <laughs> looking back <laughs> many years later. Um you know, so many people, going back to what you said earlier, are so afraid to step up and to take opportunities that um, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of competition. And so yeah. the School of Dentistry was stuck with me yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a couple of other people, um, another um, student and one of our professors. And so... Um, because of the same, um, the, this same situation or, or the, the way I came to the university where I never felt like I knew enough, even, even though I tried to study everything. And um, I took everything very seriously. I still do. And so I took the responsibility very seriously. And so without anyone necessarily telling me, just out of common sense, I got the phone numbers this again, this was pre-internet. So I got the phone numbers of the um, organizers of the conference who were, um, you know, dentists from our town. And so I called them up and I said, doctor, would it be possible for me to come and speak to you because I'm going to be one of the interpreters? Everybody said yes. So I came to their offices and then um, I would act like I knew what I was doing, even though I had no idea. <laughs> so um, I thought I need information, right? And then there was no Google, there weren't even personal computers available to everyone back then. So I said, do you have any books or any magazines, any journals that I could borrow? And they were happy to provide me with a lot of information. So I would leave each of the offices, you know, I went to each of the special uh, specialists because this was a big conference. And so, um, you know, with a stack of books and things, and they all said, very importantly, call me if you have any questions. Of course, I had questions. So I went home and, you know, I started making my glossaries and I had all, this, all the, the um, English terms, but I didn't have any of the Spanish terms. So, and I didn't have a specialized, um, you know, dictionary that I could look them up into. So 
I would call them, <laughs> doctor, how do you say this? And to this day, I still remember a lot of the vocabulary. And so, oh, this is how you say it. Or, you know, and so they, they helped me build the glossaries. Wow. And so I... From Spanish to English? Um, no, English to Spanish. From English, English to, to Spanish. Spanish. Yes, this was an international conference where um, wow. the speakers came from the U.S. to um, to give the talks. And um, and so, yeah, so out of not knowing and out of that fear of not doing it right, I just sat down and I thought, okay, common sense, what do I need to do? I need to learn this. And then I need to be able to um, interpret simultaneously. So again, no YouTube, no internet, nothing. I mean, nothing to practice with. So what I did was I would record, you know, the, the books that they gave me. I would record myself on a cassette. This is for, for young people listening to this. They have no idea what I'm talking about. So, on a cassette. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I totally about. do. <laughs> So I, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I, I start. I would open the book and I would record myself reading off the book, right? And then I would rewind the recording and then interpret over that by myself. I mean, <laughs> I didn't wow. get to practice with anyone. Okay, simultaneous was not taught in this program either. No, as you can, as you can probably tell. I mean, the concept and the idea of simultaneous was mentioned but it wasn't like no 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 there was no proper training and so yeah that's how I got started at dentistry conference and and let me tell you that the the part that I the the happy ending yeah the story is that um I get to the conference and of course I knew the um the organizers because I had been to all of their offices and um, who I didn't know the uh, the men who had set up the booth and the you know the receivers and I had never seen the inside of a booth. I got there and he explained to me how to <laughs> you know how to use the console and I thought, well, okay, this can't be too hard. I'm sitting in the back of the room and it starts and I go first, right? And as soon as I start, I you know I was relatively young, maybe I was about. 21 or 22 and um and the, uh, probably the doctors because I had so many questions they weren't sure that I was going to do a good job and so what happened is it starts and I start and it you know things flow why because I had studied so much that I knew what they were talking about I mean I had read so many articles about um you know oral surgery and this and that and the other that I understood what they were talking about. And so that helps things flow. Right. And the, the um, president of the, of the group of doctors who were organizing the conference was sitting in the first row. He got up and he turned and he was like, <laughs> at me, you know, giving me a thumbs up. Thumbs and so, uh, yeah, that was, that was really um a very nice experience. After that, the men who had the um, all the the booths and the equipment and everything, um, I met him there, and he started giving me jobs after that. But did this confirm for you, Nora? Well, that if you work really hard <laughs> <laughs> and and follow your instincts, <laughs> things will go well. And and to this day, Mireya, I take my work very seriously. I mean, I've been doing this for many years now, but I will never step. Uh, you know, 
into a booth without having prepared. Um, even if it's something that I'm familiar with, I will read and I will study and I will go over things. And um, I think it's important to take it seriously. Absolutely. And context, as as you know, mostly we all know, is extremely important for for you know the work that we're going to do. So very much so. Good on yeah. you for for having had at such a young age you know, just that thinking process of uh, must prepare and not being afraid to ask. I think that that's one of the things, especially uh, when we're young, is maybe not being afraid to ask. Maybe afraid might not be the, the word, but just hesitating to ask for various reasons, you know, because maybe you think that other people are going to think less of you for asking questions or whatever it may be. And so we don't ask people, we don't open that door and say, would you, would you mind guiding me? And you at such a young age thought about that. It sounded like you were doing this yourself too, even though it was a team, it was, it was a team. Approach. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the other two people were doing <laughs> <laughs> to prepare because I never saw them during the prepare the preparation stage. Um, and let me tell you, the one of them actually dropped out during the event Ooh, because, of course, she wasn't prepared and she was like, she just couldn't do it. Right. And and so I went home actually after after during my break because I, you know, there were three of us. And so um, there was a time when I was free. And so I went home and this again before uh, cell phones or smartphones. And so I um, get home, open the door and the phone is ringing off the hook. And I pick up and it's the organizers. Can you come back right away? Because she had dropped out and, and they needed someone um, to cover for her. And um, that was also a lesson for me. And the lesson is, if you don't take it seriously and you don't prepare, mm-hmm. then, you know, these things can happen. These can happen. Absolutely. And I wouldn't have wanted to be in her shoes. I mean, I no. No, that's an awful well, thing. Imagine. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. What if- uh, and, and let me tell you, when I came back, they had stopped the uh, presentations. They were waiting for me to come back because they couldn't keep going. And so that, um, I mean, just to think that you could cause that level of disruption wow. in an international conference. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd rather... I, I, I'd rather spend, uh, you know, not go to the movies and spend a couple of hours preparing than risk doing that to a client. What an amazing story. I love it because, yes, it it does show just just from beginning to end uh, what can happen. Number one, I've mentioned it here before when preparation meets opportunity, you know, and in this case, maybe you had the opportunity first, but you knew you knew well that you needed to prepare. So either way, preparation and opportunity met at some point, even though you know it might have come later. Uh, you still had that mindset of I must prepare and and demonstrated what happens when you do prepare well for for events. Did this open up opportunities for more interpreting assignments for you? Did you at some yes. point stop teaching? Walk us through that transition that eventually you leave this, uh, the, the teaching and, and go full time to interpreting and translating. Um, yes, it did open a lot of opportunities, some of which I couldn't take because um, remember, I was still in school. And so um, 
I would get calls to um, come and interpret or, you know, travel and interpret somewhere else. I couldn't do it because I still had to finish school. So, um, but um, the, the man um, that had the audiovisual company, um, he would call me every single time and say, are you available? Are you available? And many times I could do it because I only went to school in the morning. So uh, if, if it was something that was in the afternoon or during the weekend, I would say yes. And, um, and then, of course, you know what happens. You know how it is. Uh, you, you start meeting people and they start recommending you with other people. I did a lot of dentistry conferences after that one. Um, did. <laughs> they, <laughs> in fact, oh, here's a fun story. Uh, they, they called me for a, um, like a couple of years later. Uh, they called me and said, we would like you to come to Puerto Vallarta, which is a big uh, resort town in Mexico for our annual conference, um, our international conference. And I said, well, when is it? And when they gave me the dates, I said, uh, I'm getting married just a couple of weeks before that. And, and then they said, that's perfectly okay. We'll send you a plane ticket for you and your husband to come and uh, and we'll put you up in a you know in in a five star hotel where we're holding the conference and um, so you can you know come take a little trip um, on us um, you don't have to wow. reimburse us <laughs> so that was really nice and plus let me tell you these dentists really knew how to do conferences at the beach right because the program when they had their conferences here in town it was all day long but at the beach. It was only for three hours in the morning <laughs> and you were free for the rest of the day. So yeah, wow. that was, that was exciting. And so Our I did, yes, it, off. See you guys. Yeah, it did open a lot of opportunities. Um, and, um, and it also made me realize that I really wanted to do this mm. and that I could do this. But the thing is, I don't live in Mexico City where there are big events every single day. Even to this day in Chihuahua, there are very few um, event, large events um, during the year. And today I'm very proud to say that I do them all. I work all the big events in Chihuahua. I have for several years. Wow. But, um, but there wasn't enough to keep me busy or to say I could live off of that. See, and so um, that geographical challenge <laughs> was a problem for me. I did consider moving to a bigger place like Mexico City where I there would be more opportunities but I my family lives here so I decided that I didn't want to do that and um because of that I kept working as an interpreter whenever there were opportunities to do that my husband is an engineer an electronics engineer and the very first time one of the very first times that we were at this um you know that we would he would come to these events with me he said, we could do this. We could have the booths and we could have the equipment and we could have all of that. And so um, we started working on that as soon as we got married and we started offering the whole service. And he does all the electronic, um, you know, he installs the booths and he, the whole thing. And all I do is just show up and sit in the booth and <laughs> you know, coordinate with my booth mates. And that's all we do. And um, so we would, I would, I never stopped doing that. Um, even, uh, even as I was teaching and um, I, when I finished school, I was teaching and I was, because I would always be um, 
what is going on? Could I join this? Could I join that? I used to join all of the training courses that were offered to the professors of my university because there were only a few of them and there were extra seats. And so I would always say, oh, the British Council is coming to do some teacher training. Could I join? Is there any chance that I could join? And because I was always there and I was the only student who was always there, <laughs> I was um, approached by the British Council to become a teacher trainer. And, um, and so I combined, um, I, I was never an English teacher working at a school. See, I, I was, whenever I was working as a teacher, as an English teacher, I was working at companies. So it was corporate um, training um, and things like that. And so I always made it very clear to my clients, to my students, that if I had an interpreting assignment, I would have to reschedule our class. And they were okay with that. And so that gave me the flexibility. I don't think if I had gotten a job, you know, as a full-time teacher, um, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Mm -hmm. And so the time came when eventually I thought, okay, I, I don't want to teach anymore. I, I mean, I like it. I, uh, I kept doing teacher training for a long time, but only on the weekends. Um, we would have a program on Saturdays. But, um, but during the week, I decided... I just wanted to be a translator and an interpreter. Now, I couldn't be only an interpreter because of what I said. I would have starved to death because there, there are only a few big events um, during the year where I live. And I didn't feel like, um, I did travel, uh, of course, but I didn't feel like um, there was one year when I traveled, I think, like 40 weeks out of the year. And, and I thought, no, this is, it's too much. I don't That's want to do sustainable. that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you consider specializing at this point or when, when did you really start really thinking about, all right, how am I going to make this transition and, and how does one begin? Well, because of my situation, um, it's, you see, um, it's not like you can specialize because if I, if I had said, I only do medical conferences, then I only would have work maybe two weeks out of the year um, without traveling, right? And so um, the reality for me was that I had to look at the things that were required in my area and then work within that. And so what was required? Um, I live in an area that is very industrial. So there are a lot of, um, you know, technical courses and trainings and things like that, where you have to go into a manufacturing facility and be the interpreter and, you know, buy the machine. I love doing that. Uh, for many years, I, I did a lot of interpreting about um, die casting, aluminum die casting. I know all the terms you can think of. That's <laughs> <special>. Aluminum, <laughs> aluminum <laughs> die casting. Wow. Wow. Um, and um and then there were many things like, for example, quality programs, like a lot of ISO trainings and ISO audits and things like that, that, um, the, that are done at manufacturing facilities and a lot of things about maintenance and quality and engineering. So that was at the beginning of my career. Then um, I um, started actively um, trying to get the big conferences and medical was one that I really wanted to do medical conferences. And so, um, but not a specific, like, again, if I lived in Mexico city, I could probably say, I only do neurology 
Mm. If I do that here, I will only work once every four years, maybe. <laughs> and so um, that's the reality, right? And so in my city, in my area, because in our state, I could say, there is industrial, which is technical. There is a lot of um, paddle breeding. And so farming and ranching, those are two big ones. Mining is another one. Um, and so those are three areas that I do every single year. I do a lot of dairy cattle. I do a lot of mining, um, not mining, but mining conferences. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't do any mining myself. Um, and um, lately I haven't been doing a lot of industrial because I've decided that I no longer want to go to, you know, noisy places where, you know, it's, it gets to the point where it was fun at one point. Yeah. It's yeah. not so fun anymore for me at this stage. Mm. And so um, I'd rather be in a conference venue <laughs> sitting in the booth than, uh, you know, climbing cooling towers and things like that. And so um, that is, I, don't, I can't really say that I chose to specialize in those areas. The reality is that's what was available to me. And I had to learn to work within that or else I wouldn't have work. Right. And so, no. And I love that. I love that you you're pointing out the fact that, you know, it really does depend on your surroundings and your environment. And so for those of us that have the opportunity to niche down or specialize into something specific, a uh, great opportunity, right? Or, or, or perhaps a great approach. But for those that do not necessarily, I love that what you did was scan the environment to see what was out there more, more consistently where you could utilize your services and your skills and bring it into this, these particular areas. Now I'm curious you're, you, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're still young and you're going out there and you're getting opportunities thanks to perhaps the, the professors and of course yourself, because you have this, you know, go-to approach. How do you go to industrial manufacturing companies, farming, ranching, mining companies and say, Hey, I'm Nora, by the way, I'm, you know, you're, you're Spanish to English, English to Spanish interpreter. How do you do that for someone that is looking into thinking, okay, well, maybe I can go to these companies and offer my services. What did you have to do? Well, um, the first approach is always the most difficult one, uh, because once you get in, like, for example, once I got my first um, dairy, uh, big dairy conference, other dairy events started popping up, right? Because they would hear you there and then they would come and say, oh, we have a meeting over here and over there. And the same happens with all the different um, areas. Um, but the, the, that first approach is the most difficult one. Now, perhaps luckily, um, a lot of people in my area don't understand the difference between translation and interpreting. And I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so first, you get in by doing some translation for them. And then they figure that, well, if you were able to do the translation, you should be able to do the interpreting, which is not true necessarily. Right. But in my case, I am a translator and an interpreter. And again, I could say if I, if I could have chosen to be only an interpreter, I would have been only an interpreter. But that was not sustainable. And mm -hmm. so I had to be a translator and an interpreter. But translation opened the door for me with many of my interpreting clients. 
And, um, and then once you're in, they will recommend you with someone else. And, you know, that's how it is. And so the way I see it is um, there are multiple ways that you can break into um, different um, niches or, or markets that you want to get into. One is, for example, in my case, remember that when I first started after my very first event, I started getting more work not in the area of dentistry, but just in general, from the men who installed the booths and who had these, so from the audiovisual company. So that's one first point of contact. And I think it's important for us not to underestimate that. And what I want to say here, Mireya, because I've seen it happen many times, and I hate when that happens, is we have to be nice to the technicians. We have, you know, it's not nice to, to feel like you are, so superior and above the technicians that you don't even say good morning to them when you get to the venue, you have to be nice to them because you know what happens? Those technicians are, they after they're done here, they will go to another event and another one. And eventually someone will ask them, do you know an interpreter who can do this? And who do you think they're going to recommend? Absolutely. So that's, that's the first point, right? Um, the technicians and the audiovisual companies who set up all, all of that. Um, the second point is, of course, your clients, word of, of mouth, well, they will recommend you with someone else. And I would always, just like I told you that in school, I would always be telling everyone, I want to be a translator, I want to be an interpreter. Whenever, um, you know, whenever an event is, um, is done, I always come up to the organizers, to the clients and say, thank you very much for choosing me. I always come up to them before we start and say, I'm here, I'm going to be sitting over there if you need anything, whatever. And then once it's done, I always come up and say, thank you so much for choosing me, uh, for choosing to work with me. If you have another similar need, I'm here. I travel, I do this, I do this. Because sometimes I don't know. So I will always say things like, um, if you have any videos that need to be subtitled, you can call me. If you have any documents that need to be translated, you can call me. And so, you know, that, and, and, and sometimes just by saying, and I'm happy to travel. And they say, oh, you can travel. And so that they will call you too, because sometimes they think that you don't travel, right? Yeah. So that's another one. And then the third one, of course, it's your colleagues. And so, um, again, be nice to your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> Please, I think right, exactly. I mean, if, if you're someone that um, that um, people enjoy working with, and I I don't mean that in in a be fake kind of way. I'm just I, mean be authentic. And uh, sometimes it will be so pleasant to work with someone that when they need a boothmate, they'll think of you and absolutely. and they'll call you. So uh, how do you approach um, new clients, or how do you get in? Well, you come and you say, "This is what I can do," and um, be very, I, I would say, be very intentional about trying to solve a need. And I know we hear that a lot from marketing, but it is true. Like, for example, when I, when the pandemic hit, I have a client um, that um, does big religious conferences every year. And I would, you know, they would um, take me to um, work for them in London, in Colombia, in several places, in Mexico and everything. And so when the pandemic hit, w there was an event that was scheduled for London um, in April, and then the pandemic began in February, and it was canceled. But I, I follow them on Twitter, and I saw that they were posting that they were planning to meet online 
this was at the very beginning of the pandemic. So I reached out to the organizer and I said, are you doing anything for interpretation? And she said, well, no, you know, because we're meeting online. And I said, well, but you can still do it. And so I told her about Zoom and about interpreting. She was so grateful. And she booked me immediately, of course. And, we, and we've been doing um, RSI for that client. So when you see that you can help them, um, you know, don't be afraid to speak up. The worst thing that can happen is that they will say, no, we don't need you. And that's okay. That doesn't change what 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 you had going on for you yeah. before you asked. Yeah. And it could absolutely mean that I don't need you right now, but it doesn't mean that in the future they may not need you and think of you just for, like you said, speaking up and, and seeking to find a solution to their problems. That's one, true. You 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 shared a story that um about one day thinking that you were walking into uh the interpretation of two lawyers and ended up somewhere else. Would you share this this moment with us just so that we yes. can get an idea of some of these opportunities that you've had? Right, right. Uh, my, yeah, the lesson I learned from that is that communication is key and you have to be very clear about communication. Um, I had been doing interpretation for a client that worked, um, it was a, a group of lawyers that worked on um, a lot of human rights things, something that I enjoyed tremendously. And um, the area where I live, unfortunately, has a very high femicide rate. And so they worked a lot with um, civil society organizations. And I had all the work that I had ever done for them was, you know, um, where they would bring in someone and they would present a project or, or someone would come from the U.S. to give them some training about you know, how to get grants and things like that. And so one day they called me and they said, um, Nora, we need you. Um, it, it was a last minute thing. And uh, we need you guys to be here at, in Mexico, we call it the C4, which is where the, um, you know, the the police force is um, concentrated. And, and so they have, it's like police headquarters. And so, um so she said, uh, it's something that came up last minute. And can you be at the C4 at 6 p.m.? And so we said, sure. I mean, they called us in the morning. So I said, sure, we can be there. We get there. And then I'm thinking, um, it was, uh, we asked how many people so that we know how many receivers to bring and whether they need a booth and all that. And they said, well, maybe about 20 people. So we get there and uh, my husband, I told you that he handles all the equipment. And so as we're waiting, he says, well, I need to go and set up and, and see where this is going to be. And so he leaves and we're sitting in a room waiting for him and no one comes and tells us anything. The person, uh, my contact person wasn't coming back or, or coming to talk to us or anything. And then he finally, my husband comes back and he says, we're not here for a meeting. There's going to be an autopsy and you need to interpret the autopsy. And, but it's not going to start right away because they're waiting from a pathologist, for a pathologist from uh, New Mexico who's going to be doing the autopsy along with the two um, doc local doctors. And I immediately knew what was going on because that morning I had seen on the news that a very high profile femicide who was in prison for killing a lot of young women in, um, in the um, U.S.-Mexico border area had died that morning. And so um, it, was, it was that moment where you realize, oh, I 
they didn't tell me they they weren't completely honest but later on i found out that the girl who called me um didn't know either right i mean everything was very secretive because it was a very high profile case and the reason they were going to do a full autopsy and they needed interpretation was because they wanted to make sure that he hadn't been killed in prison mm-hmm. right now because he was a um so there were um, human rights organizations, uh, observers during the autopsy, which lasted forever, Mireya, because they did, it was a full autopsy. And oh we gosh. were, we were standing right at the table. I was just going <laughs> to ask what was positioning for that? Oh, wow. Yeah, no, we were, everybody was up in the gallery behind glass, you know, sitting very safely. The three people doing the autopsy and the interpreters were standing around the body of course (laughs) how do you prepare for that how do you prepare mentally it's it's like no we didn't have a chance to because we were you know it was um, unexpected well I should say that at least they were kind enough to show me the body before the autopsy began okay (laughs) and I say that jokingly before (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know you know how sometimes they will show you where you're going to be interpreting or something before you start well, while we were waiting for the um, American pathologist to get there, uh, the director of the um, of the center, the, the facility that we were at, said, well, we should probably go and look at the room where this is going to be taking place. And the body was already there. It was an interesting experience. But what it taught me is that we need to be very clear about communication with the client. You know, it was... Um, I'm not squeamish, so it was, I mean, the worst part was the smell, to tell you the truth. Oh, my but- God. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how fortunate were they to, to have an amazing language professional there, an amazing interpreter that knows their stuff and that they're prepared, but that you're not squeamish because yeah. what would have happened? <laughs> Imagine if I had fainted. <laughs> It's always been my my philosophy that um, as a service provider, I'm there to help, you know, not to create problems. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very late. It wasn't like if I said, no, I'm walking away from this, they were going to be able to find someone else. And it was um, it was interesting. But um, but yeah, it, it I did talk to the client afterwards and, it's, and I said, oh, you should have warned me, you know at the very least because I was wearing high heels and I was standing for four hours next to the body with in high heels but yeah that's what happened lots of learning opportunities for that one and I love the fact that you said you still came back at the end to kind of do the you know that post-session debrief with the client let's talk about this let's talk about what happened happened here yeah (laughs) You're a big fan of the seven habits of highly effective people. I and um, I, I know that you even had another incredible opportunity as someone that follows these seven habits. Um, it sounds like even in just listening to your experiences to the T. And you've had the amazing opportunity of interpreting for Stephen Covey himself. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's absolutely correct. That was like a dream come true. I bet it was. That's like my (laughs) dream. You know, that is like to be able to go to these conferences and interpret for, I mean, because I feel like I would learn so much just listening to them giving their personal take on these things. So anyway, share with us this experience. How did that come to be? Well, um, 
back then, there um, one of the um, local private universities or the state private universities used to organize a lot of um, events with high-profile speakers. So, and um, they would always hire me to be the lead interpreter. And so that's how I came to interpret for Stephen Covey, for Pat Adams, for, you know, several other high-profile speakers. And um, I couldn't believe it, you know, when they said, um, sometimes, you know, when you have a regular client like that, like this university, they will sometimes book you, like they will ask for to book a date, and they don't even tell you what it is going to be that far in advance. And um, I wouldn't ask. I mean, I, I would ask when the when the date was um, drawing um, close closer um, to you know. So what is it? Who is it this time? When they told me it was Stephen Covey, I I was like I couldn't believe it because. It is a great honor, of course, to interpret for high-profile speakers. But remember that I live in a small city. So the advantage of living here is that you're not going to be in a huge auditorium where the booths are going to be hidden in the back and you will never get to talk to the speaker. No, you will actually be sitting backstage with the speaker waiting for the event to start. And so that is exactly what happened with all of these speakers. We, they would organize them at a local theater and the theater is not huge. Um, and, and so the, my booth would always be set up, um, up on the stage, but behind the curtains. And so the speakers, we would always have some time to talk before it started. Now, some speakers, of course, are more open than others to talking to, to the interpreters and uh, Stephen Covey was incredibly gracious. He, uh, we spent some time talking um, backstage before it started. And then there was a press conference that I interpreted for him as well. And, um, and then we talked for a little afterwards. I, he actually told me I had my book with me. Of course, (laughs) I wanted to get his autograph. And I was, I was just, you know, my plan was that he would just sign it. And with his name and that, you, you know, and hold it in his hands. And, and that would have been a dream come true for me. Um, but he actually, when I came up to him and said, would you sign my book? He opened it and he wrote on the first page um, to Nora, a master of habit five. And habit five is to first seek to understand and then to be understood. Wow. Isn't that perfect for an interpreter? Wow. Isn't that perfect? And so, you know, that's, that's one of my most um, treasured possessions. I, I, I love it. And I love how he was so, uh, you know, he didn't just give me a generic autograph, right? He put some thought into it. And I, I loved it. It Yeah, some thought into it and and very relative, which meant that he was very present in you and your work because he he saw it and was able to transfer that into, you know, your personalized message. What an amazing, amazing story. I absolutely love that, you know, not only are you a fan and you, you, you follow, you know, these, these uh, seven steps, right? Uh, it, it seems at least that you follow. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I try. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, it, uh, it by the looks of the results that you that you get, you do you do try to follow these seven steps and and then to have the opportunity 
to interpret, to use your skills and something that you truly believe in um, for someone that shared so much to so many. I mean, I, yeah, I, I got chills hearing that, you know, that personalized message. How great. That's lovely. I first found you, Nora, online um, a while back with everything that you share as well with the language industry, much of it having to do with uh, technology and resources. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but I I worked for uh, oh, a little bit over 10 years for uh, public education. And um, there's many challenges there with uh, the, the language access topic and, you know, bringing trained interpreters into that specialized, uh, specialized area. Um, and differentiating between interpreting and translation and the tools that we could utilize in schools for families, such as CAT tools. So you share a lot of information on uh, social media. There's always workshops that you're providing. And I always wanted us to, us meaning the team, to be able to take one of your courses, but the timing would never work. (laughs) Anyway, long story short, basically what ended up happening is I really wanted to bring you in into the conversation of tools, the technology, the resources, you know, you grew up, you were saying or began a lot of your studies in an era where these weren't available. Not only did you dive into learning a new language and picking it up and utilizing it almost, you know, we could say immediately, but at some point, it sounds like you dove into this topic of of technology And again, now you're doing the same thing that you were doing with language is now you're teaching it. You're pushing it out and teaching it to others. And the one specific cat tool that I'm thinking about is not an easy, quote unquote, you know, platform to learn. And yet, you know, it seems like you've you've, you've pretty much mastered it and are teaching it to others. What resources or what recommendations do you have for young professionals or even professionals that have been in the field for a while with regards to technology and how we can get more comfortable with making that a part of our work? Mm, That's a very good question. Um, It's been easy for me because I really like technology, but I can understand how for some people it's challenging. My advice would be First of all, um, see technology as your ally. Um, don't, I mean, I, I get a lot of um, comments like, oh, I, this, this tool is impossible to use. I've tried to learn it so many times. It doesn't work. We are in, you, like you're fighting the tool, you know, like it's you're in conflict with the tool. But it's a tool to, that is there to help you. And maybe it's not the right tool for you, but go out and look for another one because there are um, other tools that are appropriate for different people. So use whatever works for you, but understand that it's something that will work in your favor. And then secondly, don't be afraid and uh, believe that you can learn it because um, what does it take to learn it? It just takes, I always think whenever I'm planning to learn something new, I always try to figure out how long it's going to take me to learn. And then I decide if I have the time to do it or not. But once I decide that I want to do it, I make a commitment to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, learning this tool that you're talking about, um, from not knowing how to use it, 
um, to feeling comfortable with it, it doesn't take you more than 10 hours maybe of your time. So starting from there, understanding that changes everything, right? Because it's not like, oh, this monster of a tool and I'll never be able to master it. But you could probably say 10 hours, I can do 10 hours. It doesn't have to be 10 hours in one day, of course. Right. right? <laughs> I could do maybe three hours this week or two hours this week and then two hours next week. But be intentional about it. I think that intentionality is what's missing because I understand how we're very busy and it's easy to, to simply say, no, 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 I'll just, I'll just do it another way. But sometimes I um, consult for, you know, I do consultations for, um, for colleagues and they show me what they're doing, right? They share their screen. They're wasting so much time um, by not, not understanding how the tool works, you mm -hmm. know? And so um, just spending a little time to understand how things work can save you a lot of time and, and, and money. And, and money. money true. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said is true. I, for someone like me, someone of my generation, we weren't born into the technology era. Uh, we had to decide to learn how to use it. But I don't believe anyone is ever old enough to, uh, to where they won't be able to learn to use a tool like this cool. and so or any other technology mm -hmm. and um and so yeah that's that's it now there is um I am <laughs> I don't know if I should say this because sometimes people laugh at me but I'm a manual reader Mireya I read manuals like I have read the manuals for my refrigerator for my car <laughs> No. Not, to, not, not to translate them. I read them because I hate, for example, when you have a new car, I hate getting into the car and not knowing what the buttons do or trying to guess what they do. The manual says what they do. So I'm a manual reader. Wow. And that means that I read the help, um, all the help for this tool. And I've read the entire manual for Microsoft Word and, you know, things like that. And today, for Microsoft Word, of course, many years ago, when it first came out, um, a client told me uh, we, we used to use WordPerfect, you know, before Microsoft I Word. Remember Word you Perfect. remember WordPerfect? <laughs> See, you didn't even realize we were going to go down memory lane today. <laughs> yeah, but we used to remember WordPerfect. And then when Word came out, it was like a big thing because it was so different. And and I remember a client um, wanted me to translate some quality manuals, um, you know, industrial quality. And they said, but we want you to do it in Word. And I said, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so, and so I said, don't worry, you can you can borrow this computer, you know, come to the plant and you can sit at this computer that has Word installed on it and you can use it. And I said, yeah, sure. But I don't know how to use it. I and said, here's the manual. So I read the manual. You know, I read the whole thing because back then, again, we didn't get the files ready to translate where we could over, you know, overwrite the translate. You would have the paper um, documents that you had to translate and then you had to recreate the document in Word. In the other. <laughs> yeah, without knowing how to use Word, it would have been impossible. So I read the whole thing. And I, I to this day, I know how to do a lot of little uh, things in Word that many people don't know how many to do. people don't know because you saw it in the manual. Yeah, I saw it in the manual. So I can tell you all about footers and headers and margins and tabs, all of that. Wow. So, so yeah, that's my philosophy. If I really want to learn something, 
find a good manual, read it end to end, <laughs> put it into practice and something will stick. I, I, I don't really know absolutely everything that is in the word manual, but I've read it <laughs> at least. Jump down to the basics. Okay. And, and, then, and then one thing um, that I heard um, a surgeon say once at an interpreting event, he got up there to talk about a, a special, a very specialized type of back surgery. And the very, his opening was, um, I have done the most of these types of surgeries in the world. And the only reason for that is because I decided to pick a technique and specialize in it. So I think I really like that philosophy because especially, for example, for cat tools, there are a lot of cat tools out there today. There is only one that I know how to use really, really well, where I know every little feature. The, I don't have the time to try and learn the others to that level. Right. Um, yeah. But it's done you well just to specialize in that. Yeah, well, I, I picked the most popular one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a strategy, guys. That was strategy. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> I know that um, you know, there were there was there's a reason why I sent out the invitation and you know, you were you were a favorite just on lines and I knew that, you know, having having the opportunity just to to tap into your mind and and to see how you think and and how you prepare and how you go out and do all these things. I mean, I'm not at all surprised by any of what you're sharing. Um and before we get to the close of today's episode, I do want to uh talk a little bit about uh just how you would change a little bit of things or some things in the language industry. One of the questions that I'd like to ask our guest is, if you could change anything in the language industry, what would it be? And in your case, you had mentioned, um, you know, the the mentorship or the ability to be able to connect with people like yourself. I would say that I know that if you know, along my journey when I first started, I had the opportunity to connect with a language professional that's so down to earth and filled with resources that my goodness, you know, the, the, the jumpstart, just the catapult and the excitement, I think would have stuck with me longer instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm all alone in this. What did I do? You know? So talk to us a little bit about what you believe we can do as a language industry to support the next generation of language professionals. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's so important. Um, and, you know, looking back, for example, uh, not only as an interpreter, but um, as a transla translator, trying to find my way, because I think we've all been there where you know what you want, but you don't know how to get there. Mm. Um, being able to rely on others is so important. And that depends on the generosity of people, mm. people who are very generous with their time, who get on online forums and answer your questions that are sometimes, you know, newbie questions when you don't know what you're doing, uh, but every question is worth asking. And I've always thought, you know, when, for it, because it happens to me today, I see I am very active um, or recently not as active as I used to be, but on a community um, where we discuss how to use um, this cat tool that we were talking about. And sometimes, Mireya, I see a question come in because I get email notifications and I know the answer and I really want to go and help the person asking, but I'm so busy, so busy that I, I just can't carve out 15 minutes to um, go in and, uh, you know, write detailed instructions for what they need or sometimes even five minutes. And so, 
I've always been very grateful for people who are generous with their time. And I've always tried to give back as much as I can. And I think it's important to understand that no matter where, what stage you are in your career, there's someone behind you and there's someone who can learn from what you have to share. And maybe you've only been doing this for one year, but I'm sure you have something to share that will help someone who's just starting out, Mm -hmm. who's just been doing this for two days or for a week. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be generous. Um, This is a comment that I get all the time from people. And I'm always surprised that people will say that. They will always say, oh, thank you for being so generous and for sharing your knowledge. And so that to me means that not everybody does the same, right? Because I, I, I would have believed that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it as being generous. I just see it as if I know something that can help you uh, and I can tell you, why not? You know, why keep it to myself? So um, I think that's, that's what we can do, you know, being generous and um, putting ourselves out there in the places where new people are looking for advice. And where are they looking for advice? Online, on social media, on, you know, forums for language professionals. And um, I, I, think, I think that's what we can do. And like you, I wish there had been someone to hold my hand when I was starting out. And um, it would have made a difference. Um, but maybe not, you know, and maybe we have become what we have become because of everything we have, we have had to go through, mm. right? But um, if we can help others, then why not? So, yeah, I'm not the kind of person, if someone reaches out to me on social media and I have the time to give them an answer, uh, I'm happy to. Absolutely. Yes. And connecting with others, I think, you know, it's sometimes we don't we don't necessarily see ourselves as, as mentors, you know, and, and you don't have to. Um, but I think the networking piece, and as you said, when someone asks a question, just being able to provide at least a quick resource or reference, what helped you right along the way? Listen, I, I, I wish I could talk about it in more detail. Um, however, here's a great resource that I found very useful, at least where someone can start because i think that you know they're they're already let's say that they are getting putting themselves out there to ask the questions that we had talked about in the beginning of the episode right just putting ourselves out there and asking people questions um you know in the hopes that somebody will provide that that answer that we're seeking in order to continue our journey so that that's an important one mm-hmm. and i think that that's something that i also strive to be a part of is is creating opportunities for the new generation of language professionals and even the ones that we're currently in like we i learned Learn so much from every guest that is so generous to, you know, volunteer their time to come on here. And I know that the audience learn as well. And this is 10 years uh, later after, you know, you know, having started in the profession in my specialty, I, and there's so much to learn all the time. And so I'm always appreciative and grateful. As we get now uh, to the close, Nora, is there any recommendations that you'd like to throw out there, anything at all that you always like to encourage or remind language professionals? Well, I think um, what we have said before, raise your hand and say, I'm here. This is what I do. This is what I can do. And this is what I'm interested in doing. 
because you never know, you know, you never know where um, someone might hear that and say, oh, there's a need over here. And the thing that I always tell students when I talk to them is don't expect anyone to come and find you. Who's going to come and knock on your door and say, oh, I heard you were an interpreter. I would like you to interpret at this big conference. No one. <laughs> you have to put yourself out there. And when you do that, do it in a very professional way and take it seriously. Take your work seriously, take your clients seriously, and do the very best you can. And when you stumble and fall, which you will, you know, it will happen inevitably, it has happened to all of us. Dust yourself up, learn from what happened, and just keep going. And I think in both in teaching and in interpretation, um, particularly, no one wants to hire someone who doesn't, um, who looks like they don't know what they're doing, right? So make sure that you appear very confident, but that confidence has to be based on preparation and on, you know, you have to be ready for what's coming. Never take it lightly. You know, whatever you're going to do, whether you're going to give a presentation, whether you're going to go interpret um, a small meeting between two people or a big 1,000, 5,000 person conference, never, never take it lightly. Take it seriously. Absolutely. Great advice. Nora, lastly, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Well, I'm always on social media, sometimes more than I should. <laughs> I'm, I'm there are always on, great uh, resources, though. Everything <laughs> that is always great. So you know, it, it happens that I, I find something. I say, "Oh, everybody should hear about this because this is so great," and then I'll go and share it. So I'm always on, um, uh, well, or whenever I can, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook. Um, I am not on Instagram, although I just heard. Um, someone said today, I listened to a presentation today saying that Instagram is um, a place we should all be at. So hopefully in the future, but I'm not, I'm not really good at Instagram at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so no, I stick to what I know. Manual. Don't go read the manual. For it. <laughs> Where is the manual? I need the manual. <laughs> so we'll yeah. teach you. Connect with us. We'll, we'll teach you. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> Yeah, probably, but I, I probably don't need another distraction, believe me. That's true. So true. So Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter yes. under Nora. Yeah, well, on Twitter, I'm at Nora Diaz B. Um, and then on LinkedIn and, and Facebook, you can find me under Nora Diaz. I'll make sure to include. If it doesn't look like me, it's not me. <laughs> I'll make sure to include those links in the episode notes. In the meantime, Nora, I once again want to thank you for the amazing opportunity. Um, you know, it is very few times that you end up just meeting someone and and really feeling like what you expected is exactly what you got. And in my case, everything that I expected um, by talking to you and having this conversation, um, everything that I was hoping for is exactly what I ended up encountering today. So I very much appreciate you, your time, all of the resources that you give out just wholeheartedly, always sharing uh, on social media for anyone that's following you and you know the fact that you respond that that 
it gives a person just a place, you know, and, and even if it's just a thank you or a hello, just the response uh, uh, when someone connects with you and such a quick response, I might add, um, it, it means a lot to many people. So I, again, I want to thank you for your time, the opportunity to have had this conversation with you and we will be in touch. Thank you so much, Mireya. I admire your podcast enormously, of course, and you always do these great interviews, so inspirational. I really love the human touch that you put into it, and I'm really grateful for the questions that you asked. Um, I, I think many of these things wouldn't normally come up in um, in a professional conversation, but it's that human touch that is so important. And this really felt like we were sitting down. I mean, we just need to be in the same place at the same time but it felt like talking to a friend and and just reminiscing and laughing and I really enjoyed it thank you so much for having me hey thanks for sticking around till the very end if you'd like to connect with me head on over to the website brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab you can also stay connected on social media instagram facebook youtube as brand the interpreter or Mireya Perez on linkedin till next time